Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. I'm your host, Dr. Ned Hoke, a veteran in natural methods healthcare, speaking with you today from Sonoma Valley, California. We're here each Wednesday at this time for an hour of health topic digestion and discussion. Please stay with us. And welcome back to Health Matters. Thanks again for joining us this lovely day. Uh, we're going to be joined today by Andy Coutier, uh, who's going to speak about his book, A Different Kind of Luxury, and we're f uh, Japanese Lessons in Simple Living and Inner Abundance. <clears throat> Based on Andy's popular articles in the Japan Times, the lushly designed and warmly written volume is a treasure chest of stories about real people who have created an abundance of time for contemplation, connecting with nature, artistic practice, and contributing to their communities. Uh, these are 11 different people, and uh, Andy is a Pushcart-nominated uh, prize-winning author, uh, writing, uh, who, author of Writing Opened the Mind. He's a contributor to uh, Adbusters, MIT Press, Oakland Tribune, the Japan Times, the Kyoto Journal, and uh, North American Review. They lived in, he and his wife Cindy lived, Cynthia lived in Japan for four years while he taught as a as a journalist and worked as on environmental causes. He currently lives in the San Francisco Bay Area and runs a center for courses on writing, theopening.org. That's his website, theopening.org. So um, before we get to Andy, let's do a couple of our announcements. Um, upcoming at the Shambhala Center beginning on July the 10th is a, the Pema Chodron Smile at Fear DVD series. Last October, the uh, teacher, Pema Chodron, led a weekend retreat at the uh, Craneway Pavilion in the Marina District in Richmond called Smile at Fear, Finding a True Heart for Bravery. The retreat, attended by thousands both at the pavilion and online, was based on the teachings in a recently published book of collected talks by the great Tibetan master Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. The, the book was Smile at Fear. The series is perfect for those who have been inspired by the teachings of Trumpa Rinpoche or Pema Chodron, but were unable to attend the retreat last fall. <clears throat> You're invited to join a five-week video discussion group led by the Shambhala Center teaching staff. Although it's most valuable when studied in its entirety, you can also do drop-in sessions. The first session is Sunday, uh, July the 10th, and then it, it repeats uh, Sundays thereafter. There's a suggested donation, um, and but no... Uh, but he turned away for lack of funds. <clears throat> also upcoming on the 9th of, of uh, July at the Sonoma Garden Park, this is called Sustainability Day, uh, and it's a free event, 10 to 4 p.m., and it will be um, a hands-on workshop, expert panel discussions, vendors and raffles and foods and drinks, water conservation, rainwater harvesting, native plants, 
um, home and, and solar energy, green transportation, volunteering, and more. A lot of fun for those of you who know the Sonoma Ecology Center and the Sonoma Garden Park, a real treat that we have as part of the Sonoma uh, Garden, uh, strike that, Sonoma uh, Ecology Center. It's at 1996 7th Street East in Sonoma. For more information, why don't you call the Sonoma Ecology Center if I have their phone number, but I don't have it right in front of me. But we all know, who, we all know them and give them a call. So... Andy, instead of stumbling over your name, what I'm just going to do is not use it. <laughs> so, Couturier. 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 Now we've got, let me see which mic I've got you on. Go ahead, talk some more. Hi, uh, it's, it's pronounced Couturier. Couturier, that's the Couturier. right one. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for having me, Ned. Your oh, pleasure. So, Andy, given that, that your book is um, uh, a different kind of luxury, Japanese Lessons in Simple Living and Inner Abundance, it's a... Um, a book with a lot of s substance to it. So maybe if you'd be kind enough to just go into the introduction we talked about and, and just read us from that uh, first paragraph and anything else you might choose to say about the introduction, which I think will welcome our audience to this idea. Okay, great. Um, this is the very first, uh, first paragraph in the book. I've always thought that it was possible to live a great life. Beyond all the nightmares we hear about in the news, there is a larger world surrounding us, not just the, the resplendent world of nature, but also our own potential as people to live well, to connect with each other, to do meaningful work, to make powerful art, and to forge a different kind of future for ourselves and for the next generation. And so that's, that was the kind of opening bell or ring that I wanted to perhaps permeate the whole book. Uh, these are some extraordinary people that I uh, came upon by complete coincidence when I was living in Japan and teaching English. Um, the reason we had gone over there was to uh, earn some money so that we could purchase some land and, and start our own life of self-reliance and self-sustainability, growing a lot of our own food and to build our own um, cabin in the mountains. And while I was doing some environmental work, uh, Earth Day, in fact, similar to the sustainability fair that you just mentioned, I met someone extraordinary, and she invited me up to her house in the mountains. And there, this whole... This was Atsuko. Atsuko. This is Atsuko Watanabe. Right. And a whole other world opened up to me, which uh, was extraordinary. Here were these people living deep in these lush green mountains, uh, surrounded by all the beauty that we know uh, of you know, both the architecture and the countryside in Japan, and they were living today. Uh, they were living in these old farmhouses that had been abandoned by the populace exodus uh, to the city, and they um, had, and I walked in the door, and they invited me to lunch, and it was a seven-course Indian feast, Indian food, Nepali food, deep in the mountains of Japan, and I, I just had this sense that something really rich was going on, and that was, that was the beginning mm -hmm. of this project. And you went on to write about this in some detail, I guess, in the Japan Times. So how much of the book is is sort of just really drawn directly over from the articles in the Japan Times? Was it, is it quite a lot of that? Uh, well, actually, the idea for the articles was to see if I could show people um, in the publishing world that there was really a book here. So really, writing the articles was a stepping stone to the book. But, um, you know, a newspaper article is like 1,000 words, 1,200 words, and, and these people's lives don't fit, I mean, as anyone who lives a rich life, they don't fit into a quick profile. And so I was really able to expand um, 
much more on their stories. So as opposed to having a few sort of quick data points or news bites, um, you can actually follow their journeys and the train of their thought and the evolution of their thought and why they've chosen the life that they have, the life way that they have. So this is 11 different people. These people are generally what age group, between what and what, would you say? Um, well, I met them uh, 20 years ago, and they were in their late 30s and 40s at the time. Um, mm -hmm. There's a couple of elders in there. But I also profile, uh, particularly um, in Chapter 5, one of the women's daughters and what she felt about growing up um, in a place with no television and uh, with very little money and, and what kind of experience she had with her, her parents. So uh, many of the people had met each other living in India and Nepal, so they were of a similar age group, but they didn't need to be. That's just the people I had happened to meet. And was there a linkage between them particularly? In other words, did, they know, did many of them know each other? Yeah. I mean, they don't live in a, in a community. Right. Uh, they live throughout the mountains of rural Japan. But many of them met um, when they were traveling overland, and they weren't just there for a week or two. They were really spending a year or two. So I guess there was some self-selection that they did not choose to get on the uh, ramp the on-ramp to Japanese industrial uh, busyness, which if you think people are busy in the United States, they're incredibly busy in Japan, and they're very status-conscious mainstream society, and they're very oriented towards money and getting rich. So by that, um, by that self-selection process, you know, being in India for a couple of years is going to uh, bring them together, and that they, that they didn't look towards the West uh, those people in Japan who are interested in things beyond their borders, many of them are interested in everything from you know Vivaldi and Beethoven to Hollywood and James Dean. And, and here were some people who were actually interested in the East. And they did meet in, uh, in Kathmandu and as part of a cultural preservation project uh, for Nepali culture. But that was just how they met each other. And I think the meaning of of their lives is for us um, in the West is far beyond that in that they really managed for 20 or 30 or 40 years to live a very rich and satisfied life and not just you know for a year or two but to really learn what can only be learned over a long period of time. Well when I read your introduction I one of the I, I read Living the Good Life and of course for those of us in another generation I, I had to wonder if if you'd snatched that from Helen and Scott Nearing. And so tell us a little bit about your background and in, in, in the American idiom, if you will, and, and, and had you been someone who'd been drawn to this kind of uh, different style of life? Absolutely. And that's actually, as I said, why we had gone to Japan was so that we didn't have to go into debt. We didn't have any money. We didn't want to borrow any money to buy land. So we wanted to buy it completely outright. So you figured you'd strike it rich and at least earn enough to... Well, we did. We actually were able to do so. Yeah. Um, wow. and, but, you know, I, I struck, another, struck it rich in a very different kind of way by meeting these people. And indeed, um, you're speaking about The Good Life, which is the name of a book by Helen and Scott Nearing. And it's, uh, it's a tremendous book. And in fact, Cynthia and I read it many cold nights while we were putting on fancy clothes and teaching English in corporations. We knew what we were after, and I recommend that book to anyone. You read that in Japan? Yeah, well, we brought it along with uh -huh, us. Uh -huh. But we had also lived in southern Oregon with some people who were homesteading up there, and just the richness of the days, and um, you know, bringing, carrying water, carrying water to your own food, and, and providing um, you know, 
harvesting food right out of the ground and eating it right away and the, with the bird calls. I mean, there's such richness to that and you're not going to ever find that even if you get the gold watch in the corner office. Uh, and so that was our inspiration originally. Well, having spent time with Scott and Helen Nearing, um, it was, it was, it's, of course, as I had sort of intimated before, it was, it was not that particular point, but this is a topic that's deeply familiar with me as well. And and one of the things that I took from Scott Nearing and Scott and Helen, uh, and they even came to visit us in in West Marin at one point. And and for those of us who'd seen their place in uh, in in Maine, and anyway, um, they were of course have been, they were our inspiration. And in, in those because they not only were they trying to live consciously, not so much in a Buddhist sense really, but in a in a in, in a sense of principle. Now I wanted to go to your book, and it says. <clears throat> And again, why this, there's a connection here. I I came to understand that these people were living out a real philosophy. They had set up their lives, or more specifically, their days, so that they had time to think on the most important questions. And what I want to do is let's see. We still we still have a few more more minutes before the break. I wanted you to kind of um, kind of step off that and talk about that. How you happen to write that not that, those particular words, but that that particular idea talk about how how much different that was for you and the experience with these people well, the ideas that we had, even though we had read the good life, were very informed when we went there, so these people were very much my teachers and our teachers mm-hmm. and when i I made the distinction between well first setting up your life in such a way that you have time to think about these questions. And each part of that is, is pretty important. Um, is to how do you set up your life in such a way that a year from now or five years from now you really have a lot of time. But it's not just so that you have those day. it's not just that time in general, but your days, your daily, day-to-day life. What is it about the way you structure it that gives you um, that kind of uh, richness of creativity, of contemplation, and of palpable connection to uh, the wondrous, luminous, natural world, the lettuce you're growing, the bird calls in the sky, the stones that you're stepping on, the wood that you're carving. And you go on in this the same page, and you say, one of the particularly interesting things I found was that they did not use money to provide themselves with entertainment. They also chose to do many tasks by hand, even as the rest of Japan and the whole industrial world were performing the same tax tasks with labor-saving devices. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, in a funny way, uh, this is a, a book of economics, not a book of macroeconomics and uh, you know charts and graphs, but really about what is really the purpose of economics. It's really to provide for uh, our needs and how do we set up systems or relationships with other people or relationships with our own hands and with our own selves so that we do provide for our own needs. And uh, and I was just really amazed because here are these people, they do use some cash, but very, very little in a country that's two or three times more expensive than uh, the United States. And that yet they seem to have much more time than the people who are chasing after money all the time. And um, and there was something about using their own hands to create what it was that they needed, or to think about it. As to, you say, as as you say in the book, to meet their human needs. I mean, yeah. this is, this is from ancient times. Humans have used their human needs, and you go on in the book in different ways, in all kinds of different ways, to talk about how that how the, each of these people in their own way 
has has made this choice of living a life of hands and living a hands of, of living have, their hands are part of their essential survival and and I think you're saying I think you're sort of pretty for, straightforwardly telling us that that the connection that these people have with their own inner inner dynamic is is much enriched by that and and you're sort of suggesting that industrial people with labor-saving devices have lost their 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 sense of being really in the world. Well, I would probably answer that the way many of the people in the book do. I don't know about other people. I right. can only look from the outside, but right. I can see, uh, and maybe I'll have time now after the break to tell you a story of an individual person, but right. um, there's a man who's a bamboo flute player, but he's also a rice farmer, and he lives with his wife and his uh, son for $3,500 a year. And part of the way he does that is by growing lots and lots of his own food, but he also makes things out of bamboo. He also lives in an old uh, house that many people in Japan wouldn't want to live in because it is so old. Um, and he's even got just a refrigerator in the front area, which he doesn't use. I walked in and it was dusty, and he's like, what would I use a refrigerator for? Uh, everything I need comes right out of the ground. And and I think that's that's a part of that answer is is that it's not just what we do with our hands, but what we do with our psyches and what we do with our, our wantings and our desires, and that there's so many ways to enrich our lives without necessarily pushing a button on a DVD player or you know going out to... Um, all the 10,000 distractions and entertainments, and that by doing that, we can actually um, have a deeper conversation with our own interior world, which is what I think a lot of us are are yearning for when we rush out. Yeah. Well, you and you say all, you go on and you say each person has agreed to be in this book, and each of them has generously given dozens of hours of their time, patiently explaining their ways of thinking. Bridging the cultural gap, gap and re-explaining Japanese words and concepts for me when I didn't at first understand. And as I read the book, one of the joys for me is the exquisite hospitality that you seem to have been received. And 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 your and your your way of writing the story it 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 so obviously honors that hospitality. And at the same time, it and it. It seems like it has that it has that special sort of extra quality of someone who's if you're asking somebody to tell them the mystery of their life, wow, not not a lot of people in the world get the chance to talk about their mystery of their lives, you know, and so they've been ingratiated by your coming to ask them about the mystery of their life, and so there's this wonderful sense of warmth that you obviously are able to share one with the other, and so that's what makes the book so, for me, attractive because it it shows the potential of the mutual hospitality that you and your uh, your and the interviewees, your friends now, I might say. So we do need to take a break. We're t- talking to Andy. Couturier. Couturier and his book called A Different Kind of Luxury. He's going to be at the uh, Sonoma Community Center this evening at 7 o'clock as part of this Transitions in Sonoma program. 7 o'clock this evening at Room 110, the Community Center. And so for those of you who want more and want to meet Andy and possibly look at this book up close, it's a lovely book. I urge you to come. And in the meantime, we need to take a break, so please stay with us. You're at uh, Sun FM 91.3. This is Dr. Ned Hoke, and this is The program is called Health Matters. I'll be back with you in just a a moment. Please stay with us.
Oops, I did it wrong. I did it wrong. So Hi. Like that. Here we go. The California Department of Veterans Affairs works to connect with California veterans, assess their needs, and get them connected to the benefits they've earned through their military service. Whether you're a recently returned veteran or served in the U.S. military decades ago, CalVet can help. Visit www.veterans.ca.gov or call 877-741-8532, 877-741-8532. You served. Now let us serve you. The Wilmar Center offers peer support for children and teens who are grieving a significant loss. This ongoing group provides a safe environment for kids to express themselves creatively while learning ways to cope. Each group is facilitated by a professional bereavement specialist and trained volunteers. That's an ongoing support group for children and teens in Sonoma. For more information, call the Wilmar Center at 935-1946 or email barbara at wilmarcenter.org. Listening to Sun FM 91.3 KSVY Sonoma. And welcome back to Health Matters, Dr. Ned Hoke. Today we're talking about the book, A Different Kind of Luxury Japanese Lessons in Simple Living and Inner Abundance. It's a pro. Uh, the author will be at the readers, uh, will not be the readers, will be at Sonoma Community Center this evening at uh, 7 o'clock for Transitions in Sonoma. And Andy, you wanted to mention something about tomorrow night as well. Yes. If you can't make it tonight, and we hope you can, uh, I'll also be speaking in Petaluma at the Seed Bank, which is at Baker, Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds. Yeah. And um, that's right in downtown, uh, right on the main crossroads in downtown Petaluma. Sounds and that's also at 7 o'clock. Not getting quite as much out of that mic as we should. Okay. That's Can you better. hear me? Yeah, that's better now. Okay, good. That's better. So let's just start where where, where it starts. Uh, San Oizumi. Oizumi. What an interesting character this fellow is. <laughs> and tell us a little about who he's, – he's, he's number one of 11 people that are highlighted in this book. So give us a little – story about this gentleman, if you would. Well, uh, many of the people in the book are artists or writers, and it's a very sort of lushly illustrated book. And so there was some discussion when we were um, editing the book on who should we start with, because each chapter is a different person. And we ended up deciding on starting with him because he's a little bit of a um, not your common, you know, hippie archetype. And these people are really not hippies. Um, uh, but they are living very simple lives with very little money. And, and he's, uh, he grew up um, in the tenements, as he said, in the slum, and I start the chapter with that. And so I wanted it to be clear that the book is about the real world. And he's an anarchist. He rides his motorcycle around. He's an anti-nuclear activist. There's a strong anti-nuclear uh, piece to this book, and I've been actually in conversation with people after the uh, events in Japan the past few months. We can talk about that later. But he is a sort of a wily, um, puckish character, very uh, strong and powerful in his personality. He's a potter and a, um, you know, really can do almost anything with his hands, but also extremely well-educated and, uh, and ready to challenge me um, 
at any point. It, this is you, you. One got the feeling that he was ready to push you, if if if, if and, and that must have been um, uh, electric. It was intense. Yes. Yeah, in, intense electric because you're not a big guy. And uh, anyway, let, let me just say a couple of things that he talks about in his because you, you've got a lot of his language here, and I guess I I, sure. I, I, I like to to do that. He said he said. Um, I didn't want to have anything to do with people in the business of killing. Was it? Was it, I thought it was a very striking kind of line. Talk a little bit about what 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 that means. Uh, well, this is a quote from his father, actually, mm-hmm. who was uh, an, uh, an anti uh, was anti war during a period of extreme Japanese militarism in the late 1930s, and he was uh, ostracized from the village where he lived and uh, thought of as a spy, and uh, then. You know, when the uh, Americans won, he actually he had uh, he spoke a little bit of English. So then the U.S. Army wanted them to help him, uh, and he said, "I wasn't going to help either of them. They were murderers either way." Um, Hitogoroshi is the word in Japanese, uh, which is just this kind of very strong and sort of um, blunt-edged comment. And uh, but he's also extremely warm and. Uh, Full of laughter and and the richness of the life that he's created is also he didn't seem doer at all. No. no. <laughs> so he, he says like it like you you're right like his father, Oizumi, is willing to make decisions entirely on principle and is t- and is and he too is perfectly willing to suffer the consequences of, of those actions. Say a little bit more about that. Well. Um, because I mean, he isn't, he's a, he's an anti nuke activist. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, he's not. Uh, I mean, the thing is, is in Japan, even mainstream society, people do really know how to get along with each other really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the worst that will happen, you know, your house won't be burned down by your neighbors, but you would be ostracized. You don't have the you don't have like, the American fascists of the of the right wing well, variety that kind of. There's something like that, but they're just not as violent. Uh-huh. Um, okay, but you know, certainly willing to. Um, you know, stand up to the nuclear bureaucracy, the officials of the nuclear industry, and even the potters' associations, because he's not—he's doing everything by hand, and most of the pottery in Japan is being done by machine. And he—he's really, you know, he's very calm and centered in himself, even amidst the millions of things that uh, are thrown at him and are thrown at all of us every day. And uh, amidst the many activities that he's involved in, he's always seeming very peaceful and always. Um, and he says he accomplishes that. He says, I don't want to be someone who is completely reliant on money, someone who is used by money. That's why I never borrow or lend. Yeah. A very strong statement, a very uh, obviously a statement of principle, yes. uh, but also a statement of experience as well, because he's obviously, to be able to say that, he's achieved it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's he's lives just incredibly basically and uh, I mean you can feel that power in his pottery and actually if you come tonight I'll be showing a lot of slides so you get to see oh good I, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I wanted to get to let, let our listeners know that this this presentation tonight is not just more language but right. it's but it's show and tell yes yeah, so I'll be doing a number of things I'll be bringing some of the actual original artworks of many of the artists profiled in the books uh, hand-bound books, woodblock prints, and just to actually touch those is great. I'll actually be serving some 
uh, uh, peasant rustic tea that is only known in a couple of valleys on the island of Shikoku. I'll be showing slides, uh, even playing some uh, bamboo flute music. So it'll really be a uh, rich multimedia experience. experience. But uh, maybe maybe I can comment a little bit on your previous question with a quote from Oizumi. And this is towards the end of the chapter. Is that? Go, go, yeah. Okay, so I ask Oizumi, remember you said that you didn't think you'll live that long? He nods his head. It's true. I don't. Why is that? Well, I'm having too much enjoyment in my life. Everyone is. I find myself even more confused than before. He continues. We're all doing the same thing, trying to have fun, and most of the time using electricity and gasoline to do it. And if we keep it up, we'll keep making the world more and more dangerous. We have cars, nuclear power, nuclear weapons. It's all part of the fun that we are having. It's the exact same dynamic. Every country has preposterous amounts of weapons so that people in that country can do whatever they want. Japan, too. There's no guarantee that at all that a war won't happen. No guarantee at all. But what I want, but what I want for my children is a world that is safe to live in. Mm-hmm. What a statement. And, and, and so well said. That's a direct quote? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Now, another cute thing about him was, tell, tell us a story about the shaman that he... he got his house from tell, okay tell us that uh, story. this is just an interesting thing i said how did you get this house and he said well actually i was living somewhere and i was right next to a golf course and uh you know there's golf is such a big thing in japan and and there's just a ton of pesticides used to keep you know that monocrop of one green you know much worse than the united states and he said he always uh well he's actually living somewhere and they were planning to put in a golf course and he hated golf he had been hit on the head by a golf ball when he was a little boy uh so he jumped on his motorcycle and he went riding around um the surrounding communities and and mountains to see if there would be another place and he saw an old big farmhouse kind of overgrown by weeds and he drove down to just say see if anybody was there and it was an old man and he was looking at him in the eye when he looked at him, he says, ah, finally you have come. I knew you would be here. And he said, I had no idea I was coming here. And he says, oh, yes, you are, you are come here to live in this house. And he said, that old man was a real Japanese shaman. Mm, mm. What a moment that must have been for him, you know, to, to, and this is house where he still is. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a moment, but it's, I mean, it seems like his life is, has, has those moments every month or so. Right, right. Incredible. Well, st- sticking with him a little bit more, and there's, yes. uh, there's leather, uh, 11 people in this book, but I kind of wanted to still dive a little deeper. He said, it's, because many people, when they hear this, and many people in, 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 in the cultures that I've been part of in, in my life, they, they think that this, this, Becoming simple is about returning to the past because so many of the things have to do with like hands-on things and so on. But uh, this gentleman says, but it's not a return to the past. The way we live now is a new way of life, even though it's what it, even though uh, what is being done in the case of making miso at hand is old. Walking in the woods has been done by people for centuries. But it was not done for the reasons it's done today, a different meaning. The family hasn't made miso for many generations. It is just that at, at some point we decided, let's do it. I don't want to return to the olden days. The very thought of it, there's something not quite right there. In any case, it's not possible. So for many people who feel like this simplicity living is really uh, 
retrogression right. in a sense. And and I think what you again and again point out in this book, at least to my ear, reader's ear, is that this is not about going to the past. Yes, that's really important. And and I was uh you know, checked body checked by several people as oh i've returned to ancient japan they're like no no we're alive in the 21st century one man said it's about uh, living life as an experiment to see uh what it is to be alive and what is a good way to live and uh, actually when you and i were speaking before the show i really like the way you said it it's like we we're so obsessed in in modern life with the new the new the new even you know something from the 80s seems ancient and yet there's this whole wealth of human experience that has come uh, that has all that has brought us here and to, and that literally supports our life today literally supports it. i love the way you said that and that to not just throw that away and not to put it in a museum under a halogen light with temperature and humidity controls, but to actually interact with it on a day-to-day level uh, enriches us in so many ways. Uh, one person, if you don't mind, uh, said, I was asking her to give me a definition of tradition, and she said, tradition is something that is something that's larger or deeper or stronger than can be built in one person's lifetime. It's many people over many lifetimes. That's what a tradition is. It's something that has been built over that much time. So it must, uh, you know, or not must, but there's there's a sense at which that's something much more powerful than something that we can just sort of cook up in an instant. Mm-hmm. And you you're saying that you're saying in your your voice you're saying it occurs to me that his active intelligence tra- trawling the world for a better way to be, a more reasonable, affectionate way to be in the world. That's another another very important statement, I think, because the, the opportunity to have an active intelligence, the opportunity for literally trawling the world for a better way to be, what, what, a, what a lovely invitation that is, an opportunity that how many of us, really, when we get up in the morning, do we actually get a chance to even come close to that idea in our existence. And so if you saw him as, as, as being able to achieve that, that must have been very inspiring to you personally. It was. And, and in some ways, bringing this book to people in the United States is my attempt at that as well. And it's, isn't it a very modern thing? It's not like uh, people who lived in the township of Sonoma 150 years ago could say, hey, there's this great Japanese tradition that's being practiced or, uh, you know, we'd like to integrate this kind of uh, biodynamic farming from Austria or, or any of the ways that people are living um, today. Uh, we have that opportunity. It's not going back to the past. It's choosing what seems to be most supportive of our values and the value systems we believe in. Well, let's let's move on from that fine gentleman, and because I think that there's your next fellow, Osama Nakamura. Osamu. 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 Osamu Nakamura. So, this is he's he's somewhat of a unique. Now, are, is of the, I didn't get a chance to look closely at all these. Are are most of these people people with partners? Uh, Half of see, them, or I would say most of them do have partners. Right. Uh, right. A few do not. Yeah. Right. But right. He's, he's single. Yeah. He's he's a single guy. So he again. 
he has a lot of interesting things to say. And uh, so tell us a little bit about him and kind of how you got to him and kind of who he is. Give us a little tableau, a little organization about him. Uh, well, he is somebody who grew up as a diet, as a, um, in a, excuse me, let me go further back. He grew up in a small town. Uh, he, like many men of his generation, got a professional training. Mm-hmm. He became a dietitian, a health consultant uh, for elders. He was wearing a necktie every day. And in his mid-20s, late-20s, he thought, I do not want to have the regret of waking up one day as an old man, never having seen the things of this world. And certainly, you know, Japanese businessman culture, you just have no time to really even leave your town very much, except for a quick week here or there uh, on vacation. Uh, And he decided to quit that, and he took the Trans-Siberian Railroad uh, across to Europe and bicycled for, we calculated it, 14,000 miles, 14,000 miles all over Europe, running out of money at times, working dishwashing jobs. And he finally found himself in India, and then he got interested in, in the daily life of the peasants of the Himalayas, and particularly in woodblock carving. And he ended up spending 10 years in a Sherpa village, five mi- five days walk from the nearest road, mm. and uh, mm. studying woodblock carving. And I'll, I'll actually have some of those woodblock prints tonight uh, to show people. But the important thing, perhaps, to start with is he lives a very uh, bare life. If you might, you know, you walk in, there's not a lot of glitter. There's no <laughs> glass. There's no telephone. He doesn't have a car. And yet it's an incredibly rich and textured life with just a ton of time. And um, and I think he recalibrated his uh, desires, you know, in the Buddhist sense, uh, the cravings that we're all sort of brought up with uh, when living in this very simple existence in the mountains of of Nepal, and he was able to bring that back to live in exactly the same way in the mountains of Japan. Mm-hmm. Well, he he comments on, he says, Thoreau was a tourist. <laughs> Say a little something about that. Well, uh, you know, the great thing about Nakamura is he's a fabulous storyteller, so he kind of led us up to that. He said, yeah, I'm reading Thoreau now, and... and uh, you know, I was I was thinking I was hoping there'd be more about food. You know, living this kind of life should be at least fifty percent about food, and there wasn't so much in there. And it seems to me Thoreau just he was only there for two years. Uh, it's almost like he moved there in order to write in order to write the book. That living this way of life, you know, takes at least ten years to understand or twenty years, and and that was another recalibration for me that these people. Um, weren't just kind of popping off to see what happens and, oh, do I like it? Do I not like it? Uh, Is it fun? Is it enjoyable? Once it's not enjoyable, let's move on to the next thing. That their their time frame of what it really takes to get to know a particular way of living. So that's that's the context in which he brought up Thoreau as a tourist. I want to uh, I want I want to let our listeners know that we will take a call in if anybody wants to share some share a thought with uh, Andy or the, on this topic. So our, after our break in a minute or so, our call in number is nine three three nine one three three. For those out of the area, it's seven zero seven nine three three. Nine one three three. In a couple couple minutes after our next break, we'll take a little. We'll have an opportunity to talk with Andy about some thought that you have about the book or some thought about what we've been talking about. So please feel free. So with just uh, actually, we'll just go ahead and go right to the break, and then we'll come back with you in just a minute. We're speaking to Andy 
Couturier. 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 I'm going to get someday they are going to get it. A different kind of luxury. Speaking this evening at a re, um, at a community center, 7 p.m. room 110, and also tomorrow night pet, in Petaluma. Where? Um, at the Seed Bank. And I should mention, if you can't get the book, I just spoke with Readers Books in Sonoma, and they'll have the book in by the weekend, so you can pick it up there as well. Splendid. So we'll be back with you after our break. Please stay with us. You're listening to Health Matters, Dr. Ned Hoke. We'll be back with you in just a moment, so please stay with us. This is Ken Brown. I've got news for you. Sonoma Patient Group and Americans for Safe Access present What If Cannabis Cured Cancer? Saturday, June 18th, 1 to 4 at the Mighty Sebastiani Theater. Country Swing Hall of Famer Tommy Thompson will perform and speak. Dr. Jeffrey Hergenrather from Santa Rosa will answer questions as well. This is no cost. For more information, contact Jewel at 526-2800 or jewel at vom.com. Is your nonprofit organization planning an event for our community? You can have your events and activities announced on KSVY by coming into the studio at 164 West Napa Street on Tuesdays from 11 to noon or Thursdays from 3 to 4. Just bring a 30-second script and some music to match, and we'll take care of the rest. For more information, call 933-0808. You're listening to Sun FM, 91.3, KSVY, Sonoma, Blah! And welcome back to Health Matters, Dr. Ned Hoke today, joined by the author of A Different Kind of Luxury, Japanese Lessons in Simple Living and Inner, inner Abundance. And as I told you before the break, you, we will take calls now at 933-9133, should anybody want to call and share a moment with our, with our guest. And reminding you again, our guest is going to be this evening at Transition Sonoma, Room 110 at the Sonoma Community Center, 7 o'clock. So, Andy, you uh, had a... A, meth, a, a mention that you thought that there was something about food that we should talk about. So why don't you just walk into that, if you would? Sure. Um, well, a lot of the people uh, in the book are um, organic farmers, and uh, they grow a lot of their own food. They are um, providing sometimes 50%, sometimes almost 100% of what they need without going to the grocery store. And uh, I think that's one of the ways that they were able to actually physically disconnect themselves from the economic system. And, and I learned, uh, I mean, that was one of my goals originally, uh, to get some land, is is that magic of, of growing a you know, from seed something and harvesting your own fresh tomatoes and and really not depending on the um, very fragile system of delivery of food to the local supermarket. And uh, I think that's a good thing to put a shout out to Transitions Sonoma that they're trying to say, how could we live without so much reliance on fossil fuels? And I think one of the things is, what do you need to live every day? You need a place to sleep and you need some food for your stomach. And here are these people who are growing it. And, and I have a 
maybe I could read a passage here. Um, this is uh, a man named Koichi Amashita, and he's um, profiled in chapter nine. He is now a rice farmer, but he was previously a professor. And I think you've had a similar experience uh, in your life, Ed. Um, and uh, he uh, you know, was a professor of Hindu philosophy, and he came back and he was uh, talking about you know, a typhoon that had torn through and blown out his rice crop. And I said, so you didn't have any rice that year? I mean, Japanese people eat rice every day. And he said, uh, no, we didn't get any. And he said, I said to him, well, well you know, what did you eat? And he said, well, every year you think about that in advance and you put some away. And we had a lot of corn that year. And I said, but you couldn't eat rice? And he looks at me and he says, it's not the thing that I want to eat but the thing that I have available to eat, what I have now, that's what's for dinner. And and I like that on a lot of levels. I like that on the food level, but I also like it on the sort of deeper metaphorical level. What is it that we have with us right now? That's what we have to feed us and feed our souls and feed our intelligence and our creativity. Um, and it's available right there. Mm-hmm. Well, the here and now, you know, be here now, and the here and now is, is of course, the... Um is in somewhat antithetical, really, to the, the the constant striving and craving and looking for more. Let's talk about a little while we have a moment. Talk about let's talk some Buddhist principles because you kind of every very gently you weave in a, a, a Buddhist tr- a principle or two in this book. Talk about a few of the Buddhist principles that you you find so congenial in this book and what what those principles are and how you saw them interacting with uh, with your subjects. Well. Um you're a very uh, astute reader, by the way. Uh, I've had some great conversations before the show with the ways you've re- uh, read carefully into the book. And um, and I'm, I seem, we seem to be using a number of examples of men in the book, but there's a lot of uh, women there as well. And uh, But there's a particular um, person who's a uh, mendicant bamboo flute player. And I... Um, I was asking. I came into his house and uh, I saw in in his it's, it's a house he rents for fifty dollars a year, and in the entryway there's a refrigerator, but it's covered with dust. And uh, I asked him if I can look inside, and he's like, "Sure." There's nothing in there, and I said, "You don't use the refrigerator." And he's like, "What would I use a refrigerator for?" Uh, and we uh, we actually were there last year visiting them, and it was sort of between seasons. and And one of the dishes we had for dinner was raw onion with peanut butter, uh, which I thought, "Oh my God, that's just not gonna." But it was fantastic. It was really delicious. It was raw onion right out of the ground and freshly ground peanut butter, and it was uh, it was what was available for dinner. And so, to answer your question, I mean, there is these um, dialogues in Buddhism about craving and aversion, and I think that, uh, and I'd include, my, include myself, I'm still very much working on this, you know, I crave this kind of ice cream on a hot day, or I crave this kind of, uh, um, you know, new music, and I'm searching for it, thinking that it's going to make me happy, and aversion, you know, oh God, I want to work in the hot sun, or pull the weeds, and I think that uh, as opposed to going to a lot of you know, meditation retreats and workshops, which these people don't do, they're actually just out there in the field pulling the weeds. And uh, perhaps that's... A... They're confronting their aversion. Uh, yeah. yeah. And the other side of that, right? They're craving. So, Andy, for our listeners' benefit again, yes. I gather that you, you mentioned that you have a Theravadan kind of history and background. Tell our listeners a little bit about your own sort of 
connection to that that style of Buddhism and how that continues to inform you today? Okay. Well, I don't. Uh, I very much don't have this book be about me, but yeah. I'm happy to answer your question. Sure. Um, sure. No. No. But I, I think that you know because I, the thing is, I, I I have to believe that 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 teaching is, while it's very quiet in this book. The respect that you provide to the people you're listening to is informed by that teaching. So yeah. I, I think it's 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 not a polemic about Buddhism at all. No. But at the same time, being informed as it is, it shows a respect and a, and a uh, and a, a literally a kind of a joy to to almost to see what that teaching really lives on in, in the earth, how it actually looks when you're up close to it. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I have studied. Um uh, vipassana meditation and have uh, you know an off and on practice I should I should say but I think that uh, you know that trying to be present in that exact moment that we're in uh, has helped me write this book and helped me slow down and listen to them more carefully and be a more patient observer as well as in my you know teaching I teach writing and being able to listen very carefully not only to the people I've profiled in the book but my my writing students and and to listen to what they're writing to try to hear that whisper in there um, you know, we, you and I had spoke beforehand about your Zen training, uh, and many people ask me, oh, so you lived in Japan for four years, do you uh, know a lot about Zen Buddhism? And uh, I, I, I'm actually um, more drawn to the, uh, the Southeast Asian tradition. Uh, it's, it's less austere. That may be just my personality, but there's a, sort of an exuberance in, in Thai and Burmese culture that's... Uh, that I really resonate with. But, you know, there's also the Hindu tradition, which uh, encompasses the Buddhist tradition from which, you know, the Hindu tradition is in some sense the the larger vessel from which all of it came out of. And there's a lot of ritual and color and celebration uh, that you'll find anywhere in India. So in your current existence, now you're, you're teaching, you're saying you're living in... San, San Francisco, Santa Cruz. I live in Santa Cruz, yeah. And you're teaching, you say, in San Francisco mostly? I teach in Oakland and in o- Santa Cruz. Oakland and Santa Cruz. And uh, the center is called The Opening, and that's at theopening.org. And I teach writing classes, writing from the subconscious, uh, creative nonfiction, life story groups, book completion groups. And uh, I'm also bringing a group of people to Bali to uh, oh. study writing there for 10 days. Oh, so what I, fun. I do a lot of uh, writing work and that's my first book is called Writing Open the Mind and mm-hmm. it's about tapping the subconscious to write more authentically the way you actually your actual right neuroscience and biology drive you to so you also mentioned that you have this you have your own rural property in Trinity I think you said that is true so tell us a little <laughs> bit about that because that maybe there's the that's where the black earth of your life is is that is that true or yeah I and, mean I and grow, what's what's the dream up there I mean in, in terms of I mean Trinity most of us we, we we've been maybe through it we haven't really you know dug in very deeply there but tell us about if if you have dug in a little deeply up there what you've dug and what what's what about Trinity holds your holds your fascination well as I mentioned earlier we wanted to buy some land without going into debt at all and so we had to go quite far away we wanted to build our own house and to develop a water system and Mm -hmm. to generate electricity off the grid and to find out you know 
we use electricity every day. How, what is electricity? How do you build it? How do you, how do you build a system? How do you, how do you store it? Um, and so we did all that. We actually built a house with hand tools. We didn't use any machines. We just a saw and a hammer and a nail. Um, and it's been tremendously enriching. Uh, we spend parts of the year there. Sometimes we spend several years at a time there, but, I am in love with my writing, teaching, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. way that I can be of service, which is the main reason I'm in a more populated area, I would have to say, is that mm -hmm. uh, I'm able to do that work there. But uh, And so you're living in Santa Cruz in an urban environment? Well, on the, very, on the very edge of it. And uh -huh. I grow food there as well as part of a community garden. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, so in a sense, for our listeners' benefit, you're... You're living the juice of this, some of the juice of this story, and, and it's, it sounds like a more than more than just a superficial way. I mean, if you've built your house with your hands and your tools and your no no power saws, or I can't I can't come close to claiming that. I, I I've got I've got the power tools up the wazoo. I mean, I come up and visit us. We'll yeah, we'll 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 introduce you to the handsaw. Yeah, I I I know the handsaw, but I tell you, I I I'm, I'm very spoiled now with my electric power tools. Well, they call that lifestyle creep, and yeah, it's yeah. possible to creep in one direction. It's possible yes. to creep back in the other. Speaking of lifestyle, I guess one more, maybe our last question in, 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 in its, all its flower might be, this isn't a lifestyle book at all, but it's a book about a lot of other things. And I guess one of the things I want our listeners to leave this conversation with is, is that message, if nothing else. It's, it's, the book is not about lifestyle, but it's about a lot of things that are sort of because lifestyle suggests what to you i mean you you you, you, uh, you sort, sort of, of disparage that term so 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 disparage it for us and then show give us the synopsis of what this book is about and why it's not that okay well uh lifestyle has the word style in it which has um allegiances with the word fashion and sort of things that flit through our lives or that are di dictated by what uh, everyone around us is wearing. And uh, so I don't use the word lifestyle, I use the term way of life, and I think that's very much important to the people in the book. Um, and I want uh, more than me to bring it all together into one pithy soundbite. Um, I, I do hope that people find what's uh, needful in their own life in the book. Um, you know, I, I think what I'll do is just read the very end of the book jacket copy, which was uh, written by the publisher. This is Stonebridge Press book by, um, and the publisher himself wrote this. And, and by the way, gratitude to them for their, their kindness to us and their, their wonderful gift yeah. to us, not only the book, but also bringing this book to press because it's, uh, it is one of the, it's, it's kind of a book of a generation. I mean, we've seen a lot of books I mean, people like me, anyway, with my particular background, we've seen a lot of these kinds of books, but this one's a special one. So go ahead. Here's, here's the end. When we leave behind the tremendous burdens of wage labor, debt, stress, and daily busyness, we grow rich in a whole new way. These Japanese are pioneers in a sense. Drawing on traditional Eastern spiritual wisdom, they have forged a new style of modernity, and in their success is a lesson for us all. Live a life that matters. Mm, what a, what an interesting promise that is! Wow. Well, Andy, again, uh, again, give us your website for the book. There is okay. a website for the book, right? Right. Mm. And there's a lot of information we didn't get to the nuclear situation, but there is on oh, the website. Let's, let's, let's not let's not miss this because we still we'll got just it. a couple of minutes. So let's. You have some of your people in this book are up there very close to this. So give our listeners what you can. A little okay. synopsis well, of I'll, that. The the website for the book is differentkindofluxury.com. 
different kind of luxury, no A, differentkindofluxury.com, and if you go through, you'll find some information on that. But uh, most of them lived south of Tokyo, so they're not necessarily directly affected, Mm -hmm. but as Atsuko Watanabe, the woman who I met first, said, every nuclear power plant is like a nuclear bomb. It's just in slow motion. They're constantly leaking. They're constantly radiating uh, radioactive materials. And the reason for this is not just the sort of greed and and money and and the whole capitalist system, but there's also our own desire to just have uh, as much electricity as possible at all times and to just even not even know that all these lights are on in our house. So what we're doing is we're destroying the gene code of our uh, the next generation and creating tremendous illness, not only on ourselves, but all the creatures of the world. And so uh, that's another meaningfulness in the book is if we don't just, it's not just trading out incandescent bulbs for uh, compact fluorescence or recycling more. It's about radically scaling back how much we live on and being satisfied with a lot less. And the message of this book is a surprise that that's actually much more deeply satisfying. Well, but even before I got this book, I, I'm some of you occasionally, uh, some words wiggled through my mind, and I, I, I wrote down the vanity and violence of luxury. My, my, I don't know, complaint in the world many times is I look at what we're doing, and of course it's shocking. I mean, it's just it's it's a, it's uh, obscene, really, what we're doing, and so I, I can't decide if I like. The, van- the vanity and violence, or the violence and vanity. I can't even decide which way I like it better. But that's uh, maybe a chapter title for me someday, because I, 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 what I, as a writer, am so, I'm so angry about it that I, I can't write a, as sweet, a kindly a book as you've written. I, I want to rail against this, this situation, but I find your book is so much more successful to me and so much more agreeable for my own heart is to read this to not not instead of railing against the problem this is this is this is a a very direct message about the about one substantial form of solution and it can't be as perhaps it can't be as exotic and and uh japanese if you will even or even buddhist if you will but we all have an opportunity to participate in a dramatically simpler lifestyle and i'm hoping we'll as you, just as you, I share this wish for you. I hope you, we will all get to it, if you will. So that's our, our message for today. And again, uh, Andy will be at Reader's Books this evening. No, no, not Reader's Books. Right. I keep doing that. At the, the at Sonoma Community Center, room 110, 110 at 7 o'clock. And it's going to be a multimedia program, so there's a lot to, lot to there. It's also free, so there's another. there's no cost involved. And... Uh, There'll even be a little tea, he says. So yes, there'll be some rare tea from um, a fermented tea from rural Japan. And um, if you miss that, I will be 7 p.m. tomorrow night in Petaluma. How about that? Well, you can you, at the you, Seed Bank, which is in the main crossroads down downtown Petaluma. Be there or be square. Okay. Well, if you cannot pacify your spirit and you let your mind be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. To be healthy, healthy, you must avoid anger and worry. Keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's the guidance of the Yellow Empress Classic of Internal Medicine. That's the basic book of Chinese medicine. And our Health Matters motto still is, health care isn't a noun, it's a verb. Hey, tune us in again next week. Always happy to have you with us. Let us know online uh, what your thoughts are about today's program and programs upcoming. 
know that we have a new Facebook page, uh, KSVY Health Matters, and so you can turn to that, and hopefully if we get our act together, you'll be able to see upcoming people on the show. Uh, So until next week, I bid you well. Thank you very much.